Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the bestofprods.com comic book podcast. I almost forgot what the show was. As always, I'm your host, the Dead Man. Over today, we have Nico. Hello. No bird this week, unfortunately. He has had a bit of a week. As you do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Life kind of kind of does that time to time. <laughs> yep. Shit happens, everything catches on fire, and everything turns out terrible. <laughs> this is a, a cheery start. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of cheery starts, are again. I think I'll go first. <laughs> and talk about yes. the cheeriest new book of 2017, The Wild Storm. Yes, yes. This book is cool. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I, uh, I am. I mean, I'm a big Warren Ellis fan, so. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I have. I don't have a lot of experience with Wildstorm as like a company or an imprint. I don't have a lot of like history with their characters outside of like the New 52 uh, voodoo and uh, grifter books. So you've never read even uh, Warren Ellis's uh, original um, stuff that he did, like with the Stormwatch characters, and I think Authority was Wildstorm too. Actually, yeah, I'm if I'm not mistaken. Like you never read any of that stuff that he did back, uh, like back probably in I guess it was the 2000s, maybe. Like uh, the only no? for realsies Wildstorm book I read was Gen 13. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but you, I, but you're familiar with obviously like like Grifter and these guys. Oh yeah, right? I, like I know, the, I know, yeah. I know some stuff about them. Right. I know about the Authority, New Fifty Two, right? The Authority, yeah, yeah, fucking Apollo and Midnighter, those yep, two, Midnighter. But which is weird because that that's why I'm interested to hear if you haven't read those ones because I've, I mean, prior to this them announcing this years back, I had heard how when I was kind of reading a lot of Warren Ellen's stuff, I had read that his run on the authority authority and Stormwatch back then was uh, really highly regarded. So uh, they had trades collecting all that stuff out uh, DC. Um, and so I went back and read it and yeah, like you, I hadn't had no experience with those characters prior to that, but, but now since then, a lot of those characters has actually seeped into the main DCU universe. Right. So it's kind of, it's interesting that they've now, came back around and they're just kind of using Warren Ellis to restart the Wildstorm up again. Yeah, like, it is uh, It is kind of yeah. weird. And this book seems to be kind of, uh, based on what I have read, it's leaning a bit more into the Wildcats side of things. Okay. Yeah, so the Jim Lee's uh, creation then. Yeah, because um, like, like there, is a, there is a version of Lord Amp, Grifter, Zealot, Voodoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, them, all of them in this, uh, they are, it seems to be a more grounded side of things, I guess. Okay. Because while it does still have like the, it, it does still have the, um, like, um, IO. Yeah. Like they have IO, they have a uh, fucking halo. They have all, they have all like the major players and stuff and they still have like alien tech and stuff and like engineer is this person who like is just a lady walking on the street and all of a sudden she fucking grows a robot suit mhm but it isn't it isn't so much on like the 90s aesthetic of it it is very much a modern book right like zealot I instead think- of being around in like fucking like weird tube top shit with like fucking spikes and shit all over she's wearing like a fucking red trench coat mhm 
uh, Grifter from the looks of it. He still has the mask, but that, that's kind of the his design was so simple. Yeah, that it's kind of hard to like update that for modern times without just completely losing the aesthetic of Grifter. I mean, to I love the Grifter design, like it, it, like that whole simple, like kind of shredded to the bottom of the mask kind of thing, like over his face. Like I, I like how, and they usually have him like a, in a trench coat or something like that, you know. But I, I, I like that character a lot, actually, Grifter, for whatever reason. I don't know why. I just I've always liked that character. Yeah, so he's working as a like, he's working as like a fixer for a guy who runs a cell phone company. Mm-hmm. That is involved in some other stuff. Okay. Uh, and he doesn't appear until the second issue. Okay. Where he is hot, where he is like um tasked with him and his partner, Kanesha. The two of them, the two of them are hired to try to find the uh, woman who saved this guy's life. Uh, he like the book starts out with, um with a bloodshot, I think is his name. Uh, throwing a man out, of, throwing a man out of like a 40th story window, and then Angela Spica, who is this iteration of engineer, I believe. Uh, she fucking suits up, goes and saves him, and then flies off to to Montauk, where there's a where there's a secret IO facility that she knows about because she used to work for IO and got into all their systems. Hmm. And so, so the guy, I think his name is Miles Craven. No, not that's not Miles Craven. That's uh, somebody else. It's a whole fucking thing. There's so much going on. There's there so many fucking people that I don't know the real identities of. Yeah, well, that's that's I was interested in hearing you talk about the book just because I know that. Um. Warren Ellis has a sometimes his things are definitely like a slow burn, like uh, like a decompressed storytelling. Where he okay, so the so the guy he, so yeah. the guy that uh guy that um, engineer saved was Jacob Marlowe. Okay, who is involved in stuff? He is like this. He's like part of this like major company that has like ties to the government and stuff. IO is this like independent espionage organization. Hmm. And so they're all in like everything's involved in like all this different shit happening. There is a bunch of different like uh, storylines going on. Like everybody's trying to find this. Everyone's trying to find Angela Spica. And then on top of all that happening, Voodoo is planning an album launch. (laughs) All right. Yeah. And then Deathblow is going to see his therapist for murdering people. So Defo isn't it interesting? Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Death Blow was famously uh, Jim Lee uh, when he drew the uh, the character of that book. He that was when he was criticized for um, copying uh, a Frank Miller Sin City style. 
He did it in he did a couple of issues of the Death Blow series where it was very similar to old Frank Miller of Sin City and it kind of caused a whole a whole thing at that time that uh that you know Frank Miller was basically saying like you know you're copying he was copying his style Jim Lee which is weird for Jim Lee because Jim Lee's got that very Jim Lee style and always has but yet at that time for whatever reason this Death Blow book I guess he experimented with doing something more similar to to a Frank Miller type thing. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of the old Death Blow stuff. But, I have not. Yeah. Death Blow is not a book I would ever read because it's called Death Blow. No, I know. It sounds very 90s and stupid. Believe me. <laughs> I've never read it either. I've just seen the art where they kind of said that he was doing like a, like a Frank Miller. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, so. Yeah, what this seems to be leading towards is a big old three-way fight for Miss Spica, engineer. Because on the one side, you got uh, Jacob Marlowe and his people with Grifter in them. Then the other side, you have um, IO, uh, International Operations, which is what Deathblow works for. And then there is the organization Zealot works for. That seems to be something that is in contention with IO. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's not a whole lot of names being thrown around here. It's just I am having a hard time remembering stuff because I'm an idiot. Well, it's not only that. I mean, if they're just using a lot of their actual names, like if you don't, if you're not familiar with all these characters, maybe it's difficult to kind of, you know what I mean? Keep track of everybody too, right? Maybe, but I am enjoying the book still. Like, I think it is. That's good. Yeah, it's moving at a, it's moving at a pretty slow pace, but it is doing enough interesting things to keep me going. Uh, I'm liking the look of everything. It is a very, it's a very unique. It's, I like the design and everything. Like all the people's faces, uh, it's John Davis Hunt on art, mm-hmm. and I think he does a good job with uh with people's faces. They're able to be like expressive enough without being like overly cartoony about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm liking all the I'm liking the character design stuff so far. Uh, it's gotten really good. It's, it's really good with backgrounds too. Like, like he's able to put okay. a lot of he's like able to put a lot of detail into the background to make it like make all the backgrounds feel like real places. Because mm-hmm. all of this is supposedly taking place in the middle of New York City, and I'm really liking the redesign engineer. Uh, before she was just kind of, I'm a hot lady, but I'm made of metal, and now she is now she looks like a fucking. She looks like what if a fighter jet fucked a horse. What? <laughs> she got like she got like this a uh, very pronounced like kind of snout almost thing on her that kind of like helps I guess with aerodynamics. Right. Uh, she has just <laughs> she has just all kinds of fucking wires and shit like metal plating and stuff. She has like long is it instead of hair she has like cables hanging at the back of her head. <laughs> it's okay. all really interesting looking. Yeah, I I mean. Again, I think the for me, like uh, it's the main draw is the is Warren Ellis is doing, and he's always been good with this kind of like technology based type stuff like this. Like, like, and, and is there like a huge military um, presence in this as well? Uh, not yet, not yet. Okay, yeah, they've kind of been. Um, this is all more like espionage style, where they're trying to keep things as under wraps as possible. Okay, interesting. Okay. You know, like death blow is the closest thing to military. Okay. Because he used to be military, but now he works for IO. 
Seems like he's packing quite a bit in in each issue, actually, by the way you're explaining it. Like, there's a lot of... Is it really just a lot of... Uh, a lot of, like, a couple of people talking? Or yeah. has there yeah, been some action as well? Or there's, just, there's, just been, the there's been a bit of action, like, not much, but it is a lot of people talking. Okay. So it's more just, like you said, like, a lot of people throwing a lot of names around at this point and kind of explaining, I guess, the status quo of everything right now. Not even, like, explaining the status quo, just kind of, like... The way they explain things, it feels like, I guess, natural in the story. Mm-hmm. Because it's never like, oh, Deathblow, you're this, you do this, blah, blah, blah. It's always like, it's always like they explain themselves. It's always like they explain what happened on this mission. And then we get a bit more backstory with Deathblow when he goes and talks to his therapist and just kind of reveals like, hey, I'm a soldier. I've killed people before, but now I'm fucking dying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, rethinking things in my life. Yeah, I know that all sounds pretty interesting, and and it sounds like it, it's accessible for new readers to the characters too. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, I don't really know anything about any of these characters, so I'm not really, I'm not really the person to yeah. ask about if they are keeping true to the Wildstorm spirit. Right, but it's keeping you interested in reading at this point. Though, oh yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, that, that's I think the main thing at, at this because you know, again, risky move to relaunch Wildstorm and. In a climate like right now, but I think they picked the right person to uh, at the helm there uh, with Warren Ellis for sure. Yeah. You know, someone who's had experience with these characters as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. And like Jim Lee I, is like co-head of publishing, so he also is like editorial sure. deciding things for Wildstorm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he sold Wildstorm. The um, I mean, he sold a lot of these characters to them when he left Image, right? DC. That was, that was the whole thing of him coming over at that time. So, um, with him there, yeah, that doesn't hurt either. Obviously, right? So, yeah, that's that's awesome. No, it's good. I'm glad to hear this. It's a good book so far. I'm I'm definitely going to be checking out the trade myself when yep. it comes out. Just 22 more issues to go. Right, that was the thing he said. He's doing twenty-four issues, right, Warren Ellis? Like, yeah, and it's actually it's kind of weird right. because at the top of the book, like underneath the, underneath the banner, it actually just has like a counter of what issue it is. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, it goes it goes from one to twenty-four with a little red arrow moving over the issue number it is. <laughs> Given his track record, I wonder if they made him like agree to that because Warren Ellis is the type of guy that will do like six issues of a thing and be like, I'm bored and just fucking leave the book. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like he, he's, he's notorious for doing that on a lot of his projects over the last like while. So like, he'll just do, he'll be on for an arc and it'll be a really good arc, but that's all you're getting him for. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, like and more power to like, him. Whatever. Listen here, motherfucker. Yeah. You are sitting down and you are finishing this goddamn book. We we, 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 we relaunched this label for you, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You think you want yeah, to bring? I, you think you, we have fucking young animal to deal with here? We don't need your bullshit on Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a huge press release when they announced this, where it's like Warren Ellis is the new architect of the Wild Story universe, and there, apparently there's supposed to be other books that are going to be coming out at some point once he gets things set up a little bit. Not that he's doing, but. You know, so he's laying a lot of the groundwork here in terms of like actually bringing all these characters back to the forefront. So, I mean, that, so the fact that they're actually advertising like this is a 24 issue thing, you know what I mean? Like, you don't see that that often when they're like, especially with a, a series that size. It's not like it's a six issue miniseries, right? Yeah, so. it, this is a this is a maxi series, motherfuckers. Yeah. 
No, so that's cool. I, I hopefully like he makes it there, <laughs> but I, I'm guessing so. If they've already said that th he's on for that, if he's saying he's doing that many issues, I'm sure he has it already all plotted out. Hopefully, oh yeah, totally. So, there will be yeah. no delays. Yeah, well, we'll see about that <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> but that's cool. Yeah. Nice. So, Nico. Yeah, okay, so I guess for a first book here, I'll talk about, um, I mentioned to you a while ago off the show, uh, I had picked up, uh, you know, you, you, you podcast for a while, you talk about a lot of the new comics for a while, you end up talking about a lot of the, the same things, if not too many new interesting things come out uh, that often, and and uh, yeah, so I, I felt uh, the need to kind of, uh, you know, switch things up a bit, spice things up, so to speak, uh, by kind of picking up some, like, uh, books that could tend to be really shitty <laughs> and, and, uh, but also fun, just kind of weird books I normally probably wouldn't read, but, uh, well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't read them, but I definitely, if I was not finding these things for cheap, I wouldn't be seeking them out, let's put it that way. So, uh, some of those books that you'll, I might talk about over the next little while is, um, back in, I guess, the... Uh, let's for instance let's look at the, what year this one was done this was yeah 2000 so i guess back around that time uh dc and marvel at a time when they actually were still open into collaborating somehow on <laughs> on uh, certain projects something that would never happen today with their with who owns the companies never at, at all right exactly um which sucks I mean, because like I, you know, I'm I would be a sucker for an intercompany like crossover thing, like 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 a Marvel versus DC, uh, as 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 good or bad as you may think that was. If you have checked it out, it, it was a cool idea at the time, just because you know comic fans all over were probably creaming their pants because they're like holy shit like the hulk versus superman <laughs> you know what i mean like like that's it, it is kind of cool like this is comics let's do something fun like that like you know like why not um but uh, given now like you know they're, uh, marvel's owned by disney and uh, warner brother is it warner brothers that owns dc yeah um yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we're not going to see that ever again. Plus, the relationship between the companies over the years has not been great. So, um, so anyways, they did a, uh, two books uh, for a bunch of characters back then, um, kind of like crossovers between a Marvel and a, D a DC character. And um, they brought out a pair of um, Daredevil Batman crossovers. One was titled Batman Daredevil. The other one, Daredevil and Batman. <laughs> <laughs> very original, very original titles. Um, and yeah, they basically, they did, a, like I said, they did a bunch of these with a bunch of characters uh, um, for Marvel and DC. Uh, so Batman and Daredevil, um, these are out there. If you kind of are back issue diving, you can probably find these cheap. Like I found them like for, I got them for like a buck a piece or something like that. And um, I guess I'm going to talk about... Um, I'm going to talk about Batman Daredevil. Uh, this is uh, by Alan Grant, uh, art by Eduardo Barreto, and this one's called uh, King of New York. Uh, and basically, um, the thing that's weird about all these crossover books is um, these characters would just randomly... Sh so, like, in this one, I believe it's Daredevil. Yeah, so it's Daredevil comes across Batman in Hell's Kitchen. Um, no, sorry, this is in Gotham. 
And basically, this is actually the second issue of the the first one was a Daredevil and Batman, and this 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 the second one was Batman and Daredevil. Now, in these books, they kind of just randomly pop up uh, in each other's cities, no matter what the characters. So, like in this instance, uh, Daredevil would either show up in Gotham, or Batman would show up in Hell's Kitchen, and and it's kind of weird the dynamic because the writer would have to make it seem like these two people know of each other's existence, yet they've never actually. You know, you've never seen them actually show up in this part of town, but for for whatever reason, um, they in for in order to make this work, so so as not to say like, oh, this is a, a dimension hopping thing, kind of like what Marvel uh, versus DC I think was at that time. Yeah, that's what it was. Uh, right. Um, this is like they both are in the same world, and they know of each other, but they don't actually ever really work together. So. When so whenever they pop up in each other's books in these crossovers, it's kind of like uh like oh I'm in your stomping grounds and I'm after this villain and then it turns out the other person's after another villain and then they basically either have to team up with each other to take down their their opposite villains and then they usually end up facing it's very formulaic in that sense they end up facing they kind of swap off villains and end up facing them so like for instance in this one um, Batman is trying to take down the Kingpin. And for whatever reason, uh, the Scarecrow is involved. Um, Scarecrow is the one that Daredevil is trying to take out. Um, so Scarecrow, I think he's trying to... I think he's he's do, doing some sort of street crime. Sorry, I'm having a hard time remembering. He basically is, is dealing in some sort of crime um, with Kingpin... And he's basically, I think he's selling drugs, or not selling drugs. Uh, yeah, I think they're selling drugs, and he had to come to Kingpin for help with that. Um, and then basically, Catwoman gets kind of caught up in between uh, as well in this issue. It's not very well done. <laughs> Let's just say that, um, you know. So basically, that is basically what it is. Like they, they end up. Um, Daredevil is investigating uh, Scarecrow, kind of doing stuff in his city with the Kingpin, and then for what you know, because of that connection, Batman ends up um, bumping into Daredevil, and then together they end up having to take down the Kingpin. Uh, they basically beat the shit out of Scarecrow, or at least Daredevil does. Uh, very easily but then scarecrow sprays him with fear gas the fear toxin and daredevil because he's daredevil the man without fear <laughs> overcomes his fear toxin obviously naturally <laughs> yeah i think he even has like a cheesy one-liner about how he's the man without fear <laughs> as he's fighting him just like bitch yeah the fuck you think y'all do um, so, yeah, so he ends up, um, so basically when he sprays him with the fear toxin, there's this, like, page where they kind of, you see, like, all these old Daredevil things that have happened to him in the past with Elektra and, like, the Kingpin and all these kind of, like, tragic moments in his life, and you see him kind of almost, like, losing it and kind of giving in to his fear toxin, but then... Uh, he kind of just laughs maniacally <laughs> and it ends up like kicking him off the top of like this uh this roof as they're fighting and then grappling him with the uh the billy bat um 
thing that he uses. So, uh, and then basically just leaves him hanging there. So that's how Daredevil in the end of this issue ends up taking out Scarecrow. While this is all going on, Batman is trying to track down uh, the Kingpin because they found out that he is now involved because up to this point, they only thought it was all Scarecrow. But as talked about in this, Scarecrow is no person that's very good at, like, being involved in, like, uh, street crime, like, things of, like, uh, in that nature. Like, he's more... he, he's more sophisticated than that than to be involved with this without having somebody kind of leading him. Uh, so so Kingpin was the person who was behind the scenes in that uh, sense. Then Daredevil uh, and, and Batman jump into a... Uh, um, a boat at the end of the issue <laughs> and and they they end up losing the uh the kingpin batman kind of takes him down but then in the in the whole um the, the whole thing with scarecrow the, he ends up slipping away and then they end up uh going in, into a speedboat at the end uh <laughs> and and uh then as they're talking to each other batman's like you win some you lose some he's like you find that too and then he's like more often than i'd like and then daredevil's like welcome to the club and he's like club and daredevil's like humanity <laughs> and then it just ends with like kingpin looking menacingly somewhere with rain coming down on him and then like the the uh like lightning behind him so it's very very yeah it wasn't great i mean it it seems on paper a lot of these team-ups you would say oh yeah that makes sense like a daredevil batman team-up doesn't seem strange to me or out of place but the way they kind of constructed a lot of these team-ups was was really just like you could tell that this team was just in it for the cash grab like this i mean the, the artist is okay in this the writing is not bad. Alan Grant's written actually some really good Batman stuff that I've read in the past. But but then at times, like, you could just see it's so heavy-handed, like, the fucking cheesy one-liners that they're busting out and the way that, like I said, it's so formulaic. It's like, oh, there's his bad guy and there's the other guy's bad guy. And, like, watch them take them down and then talk about it. And that's how a lot of these kind of crossover books were. I, I read a few that were really good, depending on the creative team. I found that the ones that were really strong were the ones where they've ac- they actually tried to uh, go above and beyond and actually write a cohesive one-shot story because all these issues were a little oversized. I think they're all like 40-issue type things, right? They're not like the your regular 20-issue uh, book. These uh-huh. were all done in these uh, prestige formats. Like back in the day, they used to do like, you know, like the more expensive issue that looked – it'd be like five or six bucks and it'd be like a more hard-bound uh, issue, not like a – like your regular floppy uh, comic issue. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, this King of New York one was okay. I picked it because it was the better out of the two. I felt that the Daredevil Batman one was actually even worse. They had Scott McDaniel, McDaniel on art. Um, he, I mean, he drew a lot of the Batman stuff back then, so it made sense, but he had like such a nineties art style, um, that I didn't care for it compared to the uh, artists on this other one. Mm-hmm. And in that in that one, it gets so cheesy. This is the first team-up that they had. I'll just quickly mention this last part in that issue. He, um, he basically tells uh, Matt Murdock not to come to Gotham as Bruce Wayne. Pretty much after they tangled in this issue, I guess they've both found out that th- who each other were. And then he says, why, Mr. Wayne, are you daring me? Uh. <laughs> And then the issue just ends. Oh, fuck <laughs> <Just> you. <laughs> so that's that's what I meant by like, yeah, Jesus that's... A, a, yeah, yeah. That was in the worst of the two issues, in my opinion. Uh, 
So yeah, it kind of sucks. Out of some of the ones I had, I told you about earlier, uh, prior to the show, us talking, um, these were probably some of the the, the worst uh, crossover of books that I read uh, out of the bunch that I listed. But uh, which is a shame because like I like both these characters quite a bit, and I think that they would be easy for them to write a story with these two characters, but apparently not, just because it was so. So written and so expected on that sense. So yeah, I mean, if you're if you're interested in tracking these down, unless you kind of just are very curious about these particular issues, I wouldn't check them out. I wouldn't suggest checking them out to a fan of either of these characters because it was not fun seeing them together at all. <laughs> like it was, it was just, it, it, I don't know. The story was just shit and predictable, and uh, and yeah. I mean, hopefully, I t- if I do end up talking about some more of these books, I talk about a good one at some point. But the, these pair, uh, I'll lump them together, were not uh, were not great. So outstanding. So, yeah. There you, yeah. <laughs> So I figured I'd get those out of the way, but uh, that'll be my uh, my journey of, uh, like I said, might read some some turds, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel it's fun to go back and read some of these fucking uh, 90s, early 2000 comics that they, uh, they put out back then, especially if it's um, characters crossing over. I find it fascinating that um, that's not going to happen anymore and that these books actually exist out in the world yeah so yeah so which is you know it it shouldn't be that crazy of an idea but it is for whatever reason just because it doesn't happen anymore right so it's i think it's cool in that sense but uh but yeah all right okay then yeah so speaking of uh fucking crossovers uh I got two. Which one do you want to hear about? The two-person team-up or the universe-building team-up? Hmm. Let's hear about the universe one. All right. Future Quest. Ah, yes. I'm digging it. I I fucking love this book. It is so goddamn good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I read the the first volume. I I really enjoyed it as well. Um, Yeah. For those who don't know... uh, yep. Future Quest is basically uh, what if the Avengers is made up of the adventuring Hanna-Barbera cartoons? Mm-hmm. So you got like fucking Space Ghost, Birdman, uh, Frankenstein Jr., the Herculoids, Mitor, yes. Johnny Quest. Herculoids, man. That's awesome. Those guys are cool. <laughs> yeah, like the Herculoids. When they first show up, they actually attack Frankenstein Jr., it's like, oh shit, robot, kill it! I was like, no, whoa, 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 dude, dude, calm down. This is a good robot. Oh, okay, I guess we need him to fight the weird fucking ejaculate with teeth. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that weird um, floating jelly thing, right? Yes, the um, Omnicron. The hell it is. Yeah, that's it, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is and a, the art. Oh man, so pretty. Oh yeah, Such it's, a really, it's really good. It is a fucking phenomenal art team on this. Uh, let me actually pull up their names. Yeah. So I can give them proper credit. Oh yeah, no, that it's yeah, it's 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 really at least they gave them the art team like a, like a, a book like this should have like so good. Yeah, so it is um, Evan Doc Shaner on art with Veronica Gandini on colors. Mm-hmm. At least in this issue, issue eleven. Yeah, I think him and um, 
think Steve Rude was the other. Like, he has a backup artist that does the, you know how they have those backup stories now and then? Um, yeah. Which, which also... I think fits well with his art style. Like they both are, are kind of knocking it out of the park, but yeah, go on. Yeah. So this book is about all of the fucking Hanna-Barbera characters essentially teaming up and taking on the Omnicron, this giant fucking globule of anger and who, who tries to like, he tries to like eat who eats realities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it is all of the so it's all of them teaming up and just going to fight this uh go to fight this thing that has been devouring worlds. And it's just a lot of fun. Like it's not a whole lot of yeah. like it's not a whole lot of like really deep storytelling. There's not a whole lot of like really complex characters in this. It's not really that kind of book. It's just, hey, these are all good people, with the exception of Dr. Zinn from Fear. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, these are all good people who are just trying to save the world. Let them do it. Anytime they fight, it's only because of like a misunderstanding that is very quickly resolved. Mm. So it's never the typical thing of like, oh, we need to learn to work together, but we can't because uh, I'm a I'm a big dumb dickhole, or this person's like fucking bitch, <laughs> or whatever. Right. It's just uh, it's just they they know they know what they need to do, and they go and do it. Hmm. And it is, it is a really good, like it, it's kind of surprising that in a, that in this thing where Haji is still a thing, right? Like just straight up. I'm surprised at that actually, but I'm glad that they stuck to the characters. Like it's not like they tried to change his or change his name or anything. Right. Yeah. They they, they didn't try to make it like all PC and stuff. It was just, Hey, this is the character. This is how you know him. Right. It's a bit insensitive, but fuck it. Well, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be that way. But it's just that the the people that did it at the time just weren't very. You know, they, they they weren't aware. Like it's not like they were. I don't think they were trying to go out of their way to be insensitive to other people's culture, right? It's, oh no, it's, and it's, it's and, and like it's yeah. not like the not like the kid. Uh, at least in this, isn't some fucking stereotype. He is just no, no. He's awesome. Haji. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty he's great a character. Yeah, yeah. The Impossibles are real cool. Uh. It, it's interesting seeing Space Ghost and Birdman outside of Space Ghost Coast to Coast and Harvey Birdman right? Attorney at Law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of... I did not know Frankenstein Jr. was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not... As, like you said with the Wildstorm, I know a lot of the Hanna-Barbera properties and characters, but I don't... I didn't know everybody at least in the first volume of, of like whatever six issues or something I read a future quest. I didn't know everybody that showed up, but the cool thing about it was like you, like you said, they, they, cause with the backups, they kind of introduced everybody slowly. So it was kind of like a slow rollout of, of uh, bringing the band together. You know what I mean? Like everybody kind of getting together there for one cause. So it's been fun kind of seeing that. Yeah. It'll be really interesting when they bring in jabber jaw, captain caveman, and the apocalypse version of Scooby-Doo. Or are they all coming into this? Book? I don't fucking These... know. Right. I was making a dumb joke. Oh. <laughs> I hope that the Scooby Doo people don't show up in this. <laughs> it, it'd be great if like they brought them in, but they didn't actually draw anything new for them. They just like cut out where just cut out what they like what art they had from the original book. Mm. <laughs> it's like yeah, technically we paid the artist, but we don't want him to draw new stuff because fuck it. 
Kind of like the the Poochie kind of going off planet. <laughs> like, yeah, Poochie goes back to his own planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just see him cut, cut out of the frame and his, like, body just float. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo and his friends went back to their home planet, at which point they lose all their weapons. And then this single new image drawn by, I think, Will Pfeiffer draw, drew it, draws that book. Hmm. And it's just all them being horribly devoured by the monsters on the planet. <laughs> and that was that. Now that, now that I'd like to see. <laughs> and then suddenly, the, and then suddenly, the Mad Max wacky racers fly in and get eaten by Omicron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Future Quest. It's just really I, fucking good. Yeah. Good art. I, good I, writing. I good characters. They like spend enough time with each of the characters. Like both in the main book and in the backup stories, that you get like a feel for who all of them are, and none of them really feel left out. Hmm. We got this big fucking. Right now we're in the middle of this like we're we're nearing the climax. This is a big like final fight. They uh, drew Omnicron to the Grand Canyon because at this point he is several square kilometers big because he's eaten a few cities. Hmm. So they draw him in using a uh, gleep of the Herculoids. As well as the psychic powers of Birdman mm. to essentially to essentially put out emotions and stuff like uh, like project this image, projecting an image from uh, the Grand Canyon that through a portal that Mitor created. And so it was Multiman who was uh, who had multiplied himself into like a few thousand people because Omnicron goes wherever there, wherever, wherever there are people. Mm-hmm. So they so they send that image through. Omnicron comes along, and then it's a big old plan where they were where they sent in the Impossibles with uh, the weird stone gorilla from the Herculoids. I think he's from the Herculoids. I think so. Let me double check or, that. Yeah, it is. So he's from the Herculoids. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Igu. Right. Yeah, so yeah, so they go yeah, so it's the impossibles going in there with uh with Tara and Igu and Gleep to try to find Gloop. Uh Gloop was already absorbed into Omicron, but they find his core and they send us to look controller and try to fuck it up, and it don't work, and everything's on fire now. This book is I really great. I like that Triceratops. What's his name again? The one in the Herculoids? Uh, uh Tundro. The one that has yeah, the one that has that rocket actual horn that comes out. It's like yeah. a fucking like that's that's awesome. Such cool designs. Such fun characters. Yeah, man. Hanna Barbera, dude. They they were prolific for a reason. Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. And I and 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 the thing the thing I like about this book the most are a lot of these Hanna Barbera titles. Uh, we'll talk about uh, soon enough here. As uh, is, they giving the, these books the the respect. A lot of them, they're giving them the, like the respect that they deserve. Like actually getting good writers and good artists on these books, and actually, um, you know, bringing some interesting ideas to these. Like, I mean, they're all not all going to be winners. I didn't personally love the uh, uh, the Scooby Apocalypse change, although I haven't read the book, so <sighs> I don't know. I know you guys talked about it. That's why, or yeah, you did. I, that's why I didn't read it. I didn't bother. It's bad. Um, okay. Yeah. But then there's the Mad Max Wacky Races, which I think that's a travesty personally, because I love Wacky Races and that is not cool in my opinion. <laughs> like, it's weird. You can change. 
I'm I'm okay with them changing certain things, but then other things I just I, like I'm not like that one did not fly with me. Like I I would have rather just seen like a more traditional wacky races type. Well, book. Yeah, that, like that's like this. That's they're trying but, to make wacky races fucking dark and shit. Right. That's what I think where you lose it. It should be fun and and like this. Like this, the, the, in these in this book, the Future Quest book, like you said, there's actual threats. Like there's actual impending threats and actual action and things happening. And you know, these people, are, they, you know, it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Like there's obviously bad guys and th- bad things that are going on, but they're coming together and fighting them as as these characters should. You know what I mean? As heroes, but like not not in the sense where wacky races where it should be fucking dark and mad maxi like i don't know that that just seems odd there's a very big disconnect for me and and them doing that so yeah and then and and then something that you shouldn't surprise you i was going to mention that at the end uh, i don't know if you knew at the end of that first volume of future quest i read um jeff parker wrote a note where he mentioned that um which could should come no surprise to anybody um darwin cook before he died helped him set up the original pitch for this book oh yeah that makes total sense yeah, I mean, if you look at this, this is like it. It, it just screams like, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, New Frontier, almost in a way. Yeah, like you know what I mean, and and like the, in the sensibilities, anyways. Like he's doing a very clean classic type uh, hero story, but just with these characters, right? Like it's, um, yeah. He even drew. I guess there was early artwork that he had drawn um, in the stages of them trying to Jeff Parker trying to pitch his idea for this book. And he wrote like a really nice two page letter at the end of the trade that they had, which might be in one of the issues. I'm not sure where he kind of just basically said how, how much he loved Darwin and how Darwin helped him in the early stages of putting this together. So that's, that's really fucking cool. Like I was really glad to hear that. Like, uh, you know, because, uh, he obviously inspired a lot of people. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's Future Quest. All right. Uh, so going, continuing with the Hanna-Barbera uh, love here. Uh, the Flintstones, Volume 1. Now, I remember you talking about a lot of these Hanna-Barbera books when they first came out. Did you bought, Did you end up talking about this or reading this at all, any of the Flintstones? I read the first issue of the Flintstones and got really weirded out by it. Okay. With its weird, like... PTSD war subplot right. fucking Barney and Fred and like Velma and like right. Wilma's whole thing where she was like a fucking member of like an indigenous tribe and tried to make artwork for it but everybody's really racist yeah so you didn't like that about uh, how they were kind of talking about these it things weirded me the fuck book. out okay no fair like I said that's like we I mean that's why I was kind of was rambling about that prior to talking about this book about how with some people it's a deal breaker in the in in the forms that they chose to present these books like i i I enjoy the flintstones a lot too i used to watch it when i was younger a lot um but i feel that this is honestly like i read this first volume and the only reason i picked this up i would have never picked this up otherwise i I mean the main reason i picked a future quest is i liked uh, the look of it the art i like the writer and it looked really good and fun and, and that's great but some of these other books i wasn't as keen on trying but i heard great things about this flintstone books and this is honestly one of the one of the most uh, intelligent smartly written books out there right now and they're basically yeah using the flintstones just as a way to kind of address a lot of like yeah social issues and 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 and, and politics and religion religion and and just basically using it as a way to kind of conversate about a lot of these things and i can definitely see where you're, you're what you're saying about being weirded out by them doing that with these characters though 
Um, like, is, is that basically what you're trying to say? You just don't think it's right to use the Flintstones to do that? or? Oh, no, it's not, it's not that I don't think it's right. It's just that I read it and I was like, oh, this is fucking weird. I, I, I loved this. I, I got to admit, like, I honestly, this is a book I don't. And I think they announced with the 12th issue, it's ending. Uh, this is one of these books. I think that people should be on more people's radar. You know who read this, which makes wrote this, which makes complete fucking sense. And again, I didn't know this when they first announced the book. Um, the guy who wrote Prez wrote this. Oh, so so if you liked Prez, even you, Dead Man, I would suggest maybe checking this out again, maybe further past where you read. I think you would love this book only because the guy, you know how like the the scathing almost criticism, like the things that he talked about in Prez, but it, he made it funny at the same time but it was like a very raw look at like the political climate at the same time you know what i mean like yeah. it was it, it was it but he did it in a way where um it also had a lot of humor in it like if i just think that if you liked the book prez and we talked about it how much we loved that book when it was coming out and how it was such a smart book and we were surprised that dc was even publishing it um this is where mark russell the writer ended up after he did prez on this flintstones book and it's really, really, really well done. I, I just, I, I mean, I, I, I can't wait till the next volume. And I'm sad to hear that it's ending. But um, they, they touched on so many interesting subjects in this, and just, and, and my favorite parts were, um, if you're, you know, if the listeners out there, if you're familiar with the Flintstones, uh, they always used all these, you know. Um, prehistoric uh, animals like dinosaurs and stuff as like appliances and things in their house <laughs> like so like they all these things would have uses like a turtle would be something like a like you know like a they have an armadillo that's his bowling ball and this fred's bowling ball they would basically use all these things as objects pretty much in appliances and things that they use like a can opener would be something like you know like a like a small dinosaur with teeth or whatever you know yeah so the interesting thing in this book is they they actually do all this um they show all these scenes my favorite part is the scenes where they show like how these pe- these things live their lives when they're not around like there's a scene in particular where everyone leaves the house like they kind of went away for a couple of days um uh Fred and Wilma they leave to go to some sort of like uh, I guess like a marriage counseling retreat type thing yeah uh, so they go away and, and all of a sudden all the, all the, uh, appliances, they start talking to one another. They're like, oh, you think, uh, they're gone? I, I don't think they're coming back for a while. And, and then, you know, so like, oh, okay, then why am I holding this on my head? Like the thing that's a coat rack and he's dropping everything and they just, <laughs> they all start like chatting with each other. And all of a sudden like Dino kind of like walks out of nowhere and he, he's kind of like, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, oh no, the, 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 this thing's still here. Like quickly put your stuff back on. They all start like <laughs> going back into position you know like and and uh and and there's this um there's this dinosaur that's the vacuum cleaner and and or or i, I think it's like an elephant like a prehistoric looking, yeah like elephant yeah it's mammoth thank you um so he's he's the vacuum cleaner and so <laughs> he makes a relationship with uh the uh, armadillo bowling ball and <laughs> and and so the armadillo bowling ball and him start talking and 
And it turns into like this really dark, like depressing commentary about how like as the door, the the, the closet door kind of gets jarred open at one point and he sees him and he's like, hey, hey, how you doing out there? He's like, when they close the door in here, it's just me in the darkness. <laughs> like Just like things like just like things like that. And he's just like, but the only thing that keeps me going is knowing that I have you on the other side. <laughs> just like I was just like, what the Jesus fuck? Christ. So I get what you mean. Like it really seems weird, but it's just so interesting to me. Like that they're using like the Flintstones. That and and at the same time, it's still very much a Flintstones book. Like they actually give context to some of the wacky Flintstone things that you might not know about. Like um, for instance, um, they ask uh, Fred during it because you know Fred wears a, a tie all the time. And they're like, "Hey, uh, Fred, how come you wear a tie all the time?" He's like, "Well, actually, uh, I I uh, I was taught that you dress for the job that you." you'd like to work or you know dress dress for the the, job you want not the job you have that's that's it that's it thank you and uh and he's like oh yeah really he's like but aren't you doing the same job at the uh, rock quarry there fred he's like yep i started wearing this tie 15 years ago (laughs) just like just things like that it's very very funny and and it's very um interesting like a lot of like i said like he touches on religion like like they basically um they show like the invention of tv in this and like so they're watching the first broadcast of all time and then the guy's like uh oh um uh, hey there people like this is uh called the news uh we're gonna we're just gonna basically report things that we want to talk about here um and then and then they show like um they, they're talking about how things people are worshiping um different gods and like the church in in bedrock they're always changing up the gods like week to week and <laughs> to see which which things people will actually worship so like through the book um like i don't know what the name of the guy the, the, the name i called him was let's say gerald uh, all of a sudden they're like oh praise gerald praise gerald and then like you know like a week will go by and then people gotten tired of gerald and then they would start worshiping like so, something else you know what i mean like so <laughs> so so they're just showing how like religion started up and how like society started up and just like like how you know how crazy it could be like a lot of religion a lot of people say that like a lot of it's just made up stuff so they're trying to they're trying to comment like on saying that people they were just looking for guidance so they they would just go to church and and at that time they would just continually switch up the things they would worship in order to get people excited and and expect them to keep coming back right so like just things like that and and like you said there's the whole PTSD aspect of it because they were in the paleolithic war but then as you go on throughout the story you find out that bam bam um he actually found him as a uh lost um survivor of their war against these people in the jungle so bam bam is actually adopted like he was actually the 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 this like saved war child from some from barney being involved in this war that he found and he kind of took him in so that's what i mean there's things like that which may be a deal breaker for people that are real fans of things so i think it's interesting how they kind of integrated everything um and actually made like made it like a way for him to talk about interesting things like in society and, and i'm like and fucking looking like at some of this shit and like fucking Fred and Wilma with like fucking people protesting their single marriage. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then they they talking about uh, I'm looking at like same sex marriages, Pebbles and Bam Bam, and they're like teenagers now or something. Yeah, yeah. They're like they go to like a record store and stuff like that. Yeah, they're like teenagers in this. So it's basically them looking on the world as teen through the eyes of a teenager, which is its own thing, right? So. um 
So yeah, and there's that, and then there's like there's a, they talk about same sex marriage in this. Uh, you know how the whole the whole that's whole saying the Adam and Steve thing, not Adam and you know it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like they actually run into Adam and Steve while they're out and about. <laughs> like, and they're like, Brent's like, hey, look, well, but there's Adam and Steve. And he's like, man, I've known these guys forever, right? And then they actually you see them pop up again in the issue when they're talking about uh, same sex marriages and marriages in general, like you, you mentioned. So so. Yeah, he's just using the Flintstones really just to discuss a, a variety of, of interesting topics. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's a very smartly written book and funny at the same time. Like I said, with those parts with the with the different appliances and uh, just how wacky it is. And and they actually also explain why uh, Fred says yabba dabba do. Apparently, that is a way for him to control his uh, <laughs> angry outbursts that, they, that he learned in his PTSD meeting. <laughs> So, <laughs> huh, uh, uh, um, I know, oh, I know. Oh, it may oh, be a, oh, okay, oh, okay. Yeah. So when you see him saying yabba dabba do in this book, he's really just doing it like like a woo saw type thing. You know what I mean? Like he's using it to basically bring him down to to like uh, not being uh, pissed off. So he he he. You never see him joyfully yelling yabba dabba do in this comic. You kind of just seeing him muttering it to himself throughout his life in this. So again, there's some things like that might which may upset people because again, this is a this is a Flintstones book. But I still find that they they had um they had he has a good time with these characters and he does tell a lot of funny things as well throughout. So. I mean, I could talk about this book for another fucking 20 minutes, but I won't. But I, I really, really love this book. So uh, Yabba Dabba Do is essentially the reason that the reason that Flanders says, like, diddly at yes. the end of things? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just said, I said the Wu Saw thing from the uh, Bad Boys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, a, if you watch Seinfeld, the Serenity Now type thing. So basically, it's something to basically calm him down. Um yeah, exactly. That he has to keep saying in his head. So that's why they use that as the explanation of why he says it. But I actually enjoyed when they came up with these reasons because I'm like, yeah, why does he wear a fucking tie? Like, and then, he, then he came up for a reason with it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, just, you know, it's you're never going to get that from the cartoons, right? They never probably explained that stuff. So the fact that he's, he's using that um, for a reason in the story doesn't bother me. Uh, but it, it also is still very much the Flintstones, though. Like I said, it is very different. He definitely uses these characters to talk about um, subjects you wouldn't expect them to, but um, I think done in a tasteful way. Like oh. I said, if you like Prez at all, definitely check this out. I think it's a book that people are like, oh, a Flintstones comic? Why the fuck would I read that? Why would I be interested in that? Or, or, or they think it's going to be a kid comic. It is definitely not. Um, it, it is. I'm, I'm surprised at DC again like Prez, is allowing him to write this book just because, and her, Anna Barbera for that. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm surprised they gave him the license to do this with these characters. It's very interesting. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I can't say enough good things about it. It really kind of came unexpectedly. To um, I did hear, I did read a review where they kind of praised it as being one of these really smartly written books that not a lot of people are checking out. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a whirl. And uh, yeah, no regrets. Loved it. So yeah, Flintstones Volume One. It's uh, came out this past week. So check it out. Okay. Yeah. So on to my next book, Super Sons. Yes. This book is really good. Oh yeah, it's we're finally yeah, getting great. to the plot. Mm. 
Yeah, so first issue was mostly set up just uh, Damien roping John into like helping him out in an investigation because his dad's like, eh, don't investigate this, Damien. And he's like, fuck you, dad. <sighs> and so issue one ends with them like trying with them scaling the Luther core building and then, and then being found by Lex Luthor, who still thinks he should be Superman. Mm. Which yeah. that's, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. Yeah, I I think I'm surprised it's gone on this long. Truthfully, yeah, like because Jeff been, John started that. Like it's been what, more it, than four months. <laughs> well, no, didn't I mean wasn't that a thing though that if, if originally it started with Jeff John's Justice League prior to Rebirth? Like it, that was no, when he started. Um, no Rebirth. No, it didn't have like uh, Lex didn't become Superman until Rebirth. Right, he didn't become Superman, but he joined the Justice League prior to Rebirth. Yeah, as like, part at, of yeah. uh, Forever Evil. The, Right, and then he kind of continued with them throughout the Dark Side War. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So. I, I kind of like this a lot. Yeah, like, just... The way these two work with each other is kind of, like, pitch perfect for both of them. Like, uh... Like, when, when Lex finds out about... When Lex sees him scale on the side of the building, he's like, all right, so who are you two kids? And then Damien's like, well... Look at John that kicks him off the rope they're using. It's like, by the way, cue ball, he can't fly. <laughs> as he begins, as Damien begins trying to like break into the building while while Lex is trying to uh, rescue John. And so then Lex right. being the, you know, the caring face you want to see after a fucking traumatic incident like that. John just straight kicks him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't kill him somehow. Hmm. And so, and that was all a distraction as uh, Damien had been like planting explosives all over Lex's lab. Oh yeah, that scene was funny where yeah. he found like the one explosive. Yeah, it's, it's like I found five. It's like oh great. What about the other eleven? Then they all light up. No, as they run away. And we also yeah, finally that, get a name for our funny. villain for this arc. Right. Yep, Kid Amazo, mm. who I just learned yeah. is a pre-existing character. Is he like like related with the Amazo virus at all? Or? Uh, he was in the original, uh, but in the pre fifty two stuff, he was uh, he was created by Professor Ivo, who made the Amazo android. Okay, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't have known that. So that's cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, one of the girls, uh, one one of the kids from that family, he had kidnapped, escapes, and is hanging out in the woods where where Damien and John land. And it's kind of cool just to see how much Damien sucks dick compared to John. Yeah. No, I like, right. uh, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> so they find a bunch of dead bodies killed by this kid, Amazo guy. And John being a child is understandably freaked the fuck out. So he's like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to fucking dealing with this shit. And Damien tries to stop him, so John just fucking one arm backhand poof him right through a fridge. <laughs> and Damien I like the still, dynamic between these and two. Damien still feels the need to talk shit. Yeah, it's all right, fine, whatever you fucking pussy. I'll solve the shit on my I own. Think, I think for the kid who's younger and so like wholesome like like he is because he's superman's son like compared to damien it works well because normally damien to most 
I know a lot of people don't, aren't big fans of him because they just find him annoying, and, and he is at, definitely, but... He needs a foil. I think, yes, exactly. Like, that's why I think the best Damien moments are the things where he goes up up against uh, Dick Grayson when they're arguing, or, like, for instance, like this. This dynamic works really well, but it's just two different uh, things. But, yeah, definitely. He definitely needs somebody to kind of react to, though. Yeah, um, like but, uh, like in Nightwing, Damien's been Damien's been there for a while, and he is back in like full on shitbird mode. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but just having Damien, but just having uh, Dick just screaming him about like I don't fucking care about Batman. My girlfriend, who might be pregnant with my kid, is missing. Right. Fucking Professor Pig has there has her. We need to go fucking beat beat that bitch up. That book's gotten fucking creepy too. This recent <laughs> I'm really those, enjoying like, it. Yeah, no, I and it's funny because just quickly, I I remember listening to an episode where I wasn't on a few weeks back, and and you had said, oh yeah, it's just kind of meandering along, and I agreed with you actually when I heard that because that last arc was probably the most boring arc out of the whole series so far, but this recent one, so good again, this new Nightwing arc. I it's, really yeah. hope nothing happens yeah. to Sean. I like Sean. Yeah, I know. And I, was so I kind of just want kidnapped. one of the Bat family members to catch a break. Yeah, yeah. Just no, I, I, I know. I know the editorial mandate is no bat family member can ever be happy for more than three days. <laughs> right. <laughs> but just once. God forbid. Come God on, forbid man. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. I'll throw that yeah, out, man. I, I agree. That book is really, really good right now. But yeah. But yeah, and it, it actually really works. So, like, Damien's childness really works in this book because it is. It is like childish wholesomeness versus childish arrogance. Mm. Because you know, every once in a while, you'll meet that kid. That kid who's like, oh, man, I can do anything. I'm amazing. My dad's awesome. I can fucking take over. Just like thinking he is so he's thinking he's such hot shit because of who his parents are. Mm. And so it's really great seeing uh, seeing him like going up against somebody who is better than him in just about every way that matters. And Damien's still thinking he could talk shit. <laughs> yeah. Just as he is as he is fucking like unfolding himself from inside the refrigerator. He's like, yeah, go fly home, you cry, baby. I'm a spine. <laughs> he's like, I'm the leader of the ti- the Teen Titans. <laughs> it's like, teen is the main word in that. <laughs> you can't join. Like, Motherfucker, you, know you are 10. <laughs> that's the thing he doesn't he doesn't hesitate to tell to continue to let him know that he runs a team and that he's the you know batman's son and you know you know so yeah and like actually uh going yeah. and there was actually like a little like a nice little back and forth between the two of them it was after they had escaped from luther uh damien had you know downloaded all the information from luther's system about this kid and so and so and so uh Damien's like, well, it's going to take fucking hours to comb through all that footage to find it. And John's like, I got it. It's like, I found like, I found like a four different locations. Supervision, dickhole. <laughs> and then Damien takes the towel back and then immediately one-ups him by finding who the kid is. Mm. Which is what leads them to the dead bodies. Oh, oh God. DC is, yeah, the, I told you about the dead bodies. Remember? Like a second ago. Was this in, in Super Sons or? Yeah, I, I literally said they found dead bodies like five minutes ago. All oh, right, yeah. No, sorry, it's been a bit since I read. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. 
It's yeah, a good book. I, th- this book is real fucking good. The art is fantastic too. Uh, great artist, uh, yeah. Phil oh. Jorge Jimenez, who I believe you're actually the first person that I heard talk about this artist and how good he was on that feathers book. Oh, he did. He did feathers. I believe so. Uh, maybe check it. Uh, her. Let me. Uh, correct, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's the case, though. Because I remember when I seen him, because he first showed up on Superman as a villain, I was like, "Wow, this guy's really good." And then I looked it up, and I think I seen that he did feathers. And then I was like, "Oh, this is the book that Dead Man talked about that one time." Because I looked up his stuff. I don't think so. No? Okay, maybe I'm mixing them up with somebody else then. Yeah, I'm not seeing any info on on a comic vine about him, on Feathers. Because that was that boom book. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Jorge Corona, ah. not Jimenez. My mistake. I actually looked at the art of Feathers, too, and that looked really good as well. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, this the this or this Jimenez guy is yeah he's really really good because I think he was the one that he did that Superman issue um, where they went to the fair I think yeah yeah he did they, he yeah yeah and, he, and I remember saying well that guy's really really good uh, and you know Patrick Leeson has been doing a great job on that book so um, uh, so yeah this this made perfect sense great transition from introducing them from this in the superman book and then making them have their own title the only thing i'm disappointed with this title is the fact that this one is not double shipping compared to all the other dc ones because i can definitely use this twice a month absolutely yeah because i think with this and superman it's it's uh they complement each other really well right now uh i mean it it helps that tomasi is writing both of them but um great stuff yeah i agree no, and he is also Corona is also apparently an artist on another book uh, called uh, Goners, which came out a couple years back. This is the feathers guy. Yeah. Okay. No, I like his stuff too. I didn't read it, but I looked at the f- feathers. Um, feathers was neat. Yeah, it looked really cool. I like the the style of his art. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. All right. That does it for uh, Super Sons. Yeah, so next book I'm going to talk about is uh, Unworthy Thor number five, which concludes the Unworthy Thor little series that Jason Aaron wrote alongside uh, Mighty Thor right now, which basically brings us back to the, uh, you know, Odin's son, the original Thor, and uh, basically how he has become unworthy. And I guess this issue in particular, did did you read this one yet, Deadman, the fifth uh, issue? Or? I think I skimmed it. Okay. Uh, it's uh the is the Gaul was right moment where we actually learn what uh yes where we learn so, what Fury said to him right yes so that so that is basically the reason why I wanted to bring it up because for a long time we've talked about it on the show here we were all kind of curious the one thing that uh, Jason Aaron has avoided mentioning ever since that shitty fucking original sin event that basically. The, the main thing that happened as a result of that was that uh, Thor became unworthy and then entered Jane Foster Thor and how she came to be and which she's been te- doing a great job of telling in um, her series. Um, 
yeah, it was basically in this, you find out the thing that Nick Fury finally whispered to him on the moon he mentioned while speaking to Beta Ray Bill is that, yeah, he said that uh, Gore, I think it was Gore was his name, I think it was? Yep. Or the, the God Butcher uh, basically said uh, Gore was right about what he said. And basically what he said was that the reason that whole, that was the whole first God Butcher arc of Thor back when Jason Aaron did that, started the series a few years ago, um, which is fantastic, by the way. That was probably my favorite arc out of his whole run on that original Thor he did. Um, was the fact that in that run he was he was basically talking, and 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 it's been like an ongoing theme throughout all his Thor stuff, even right now in Mighty Thor. Um, they've always been talking about the, he's been playing with the fact of how uh, if gods are worthy of our admiration and respect, and if they should actually be kind of. You know, if people should actually look up to gods, like, are they worthy enough? And and I guess he, he, because Gore, the God Busher, did, had some bad experience with experiences with gods, he felt that they should not be, uh, you know, people should not look up to gods. And therefore, he ended up running around killing a bunch of them. And Thor kind of took him out and basically said that he was wrong and this and that. But turns out... I guess according to Nick Fury, the fucking man on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> according to the yeah. magic according to the magic old man Cyclops. He was right. Yeah. He was right. Which and isn't that, a huge reveal. Yeah, and like fucking that was enough to make him unworthy. Right. Like fuck, if I, I if I had just walked in and said, Hey that Gore made some good points, would that just fucking cause the hammer to just drop in the middle of fucking Manhattan? <laughs> right. I I guess it hit him in such a way, because this is post that whole um, Thor arc that Jason Eric did leading right into original sin that he just basically felt, I guess, so down on himself at that point, he basically lost the power to wield the hammer. Uh, I guess dumb or not the way, if you're going to pick it apart. Yeah. It's not the greatest reveal. It's not the, but I, at this point, I didn't really even fucking care. I think Jason Eric did such a good, has been doing such a good job telling this story it's such a good job navigating these characters and just having that as the ongoing theme. When I read it, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, you know, that's no surprise. Like that, that was what he said to him. It just, it made sense, but it was not shocking. Like it wasn't like I've been waiting to hear. Cause you know, we've talked about it before. We both like to know what he fucking said. Right. Like, yeah. but it was one of those things where he avoided it altogether instead of your classic, like, Oh, find out in this issue until now. And he's just been continuing to tell his story, even kind of, went to on to write another character with Jane Foster completely and has been in an extensive run on her so far without even kind of touching on it. And then he finally, like I said, comes back with the, his miniseries and actually reveals that that is what he said. So it didn't come as any surprise to, to me, but in that sense, but at the same time, I don't think, I think he's been doing such a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm giving him the pass on this. Like, I, I think it makes total sense that he, that that is what happened. Yeah, but fucking Nick Fury could come up and said, "Hey man, how's Broxton doing?" And that still would have had the same effect. <laughs> right. Hey, yo, how's your just... girlfriend at Shield? How's a car doing? <laughs> Anything to make him feel bad. Yeah, really. He's just it's like, like, ooh, yeah, it's like yo, hey, sick bird. It's like yo, hey, Thor, how your sister doing? And then just boom. <laughs> Say hi to your mother. For- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck, you could just uh, like, go home and get a shine box, and that would have made him drop his fucking right. hammer. <laughs> yeah, or like, he's like, I fucked Jane. <laughs> you know, just like, no, you're, no, you're right. Yo, I get, how goes it? 
Um, okay, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from. But at the same time, do you really think that it's... I mean, I've loved his Thor run. Do you think this has, has, has any effect on overall quality of the story, though? That no, he held not, his not really. It's just kind of a fucking... Right stupid move like, that he had to you. fucking pull out of yeah. his ass in order to make that bullshit and original sin make sense. Right. It really just further dr- uh, drove home the fact that that is his theme for his run on Thor. Like, should you worship gods or not? Like, that's that's that has been his ongoing thing. And this, yeah, exactly. This just furthers that fact. But like you said, it was kind of like a non-fucking reveal in that sense because they already told us something we fucking knew. That's why I kind of had to double back even when that scene happened. I'm like, is that what he said? Like, I was like, is it, I'm like, is that the thing? Did I miss it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I was like, what, fucking seriously? That's all. That's all it was. Right. That's all it took. Right. That's that's what we've been waiting fucking two years for. So yeah, I get it. Because I, I, I get why some people would be upset at the reveal and so I, why, but at the same time, I, like, I, fuck, I, I would have been, I would have been less pissed about this or less like bugged by this if the, if the reveal had been, we're out of ale. <laughs> or just, hey, one of your goats died. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Tooth Nasher's dead. <laughs> what? Yeah, just, no, not my goats. That is the exact thing they do after he just he tells him this though. He's like, well, the one thing I know, Bill. He calls him Bill too, Bader. Bill. In this, yeah, what else great. are you gonna call him? I know, but it's just funny hearing him call him Bill. He's like, I, I do know one thing. I got a mighty thirst, <laughs> and then they go and get hammered. <laughs> it's like, hey, yo, Bill, you want to go, go get fucked up? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, the, yeah, <laughs> that was the best part about this. That was the best note to end on in this miniseries. Like, that, I, oh, I, yay, I, Bill, <laughs> shouts we go get wasted. And then Bill's like, verily. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they kind of, they defeated the bad guy. They reminisced about how he fucked up and how he's unworthy. <laughs> Bill's tried to make him, make him feel better by saying, you know what? You're a Thor. It doesn't fucking matter. You don't have to. You think you're, you know, you're worthy. Like, you do what you do. You're not like every other fucking god. And, you know, he kind of just sat there kind of stewing on it. And he's just kind of like, okay, let's go get drunk. (laughs) That was the end of this miniseries. And lo, we have spent too much time talking about our feelings. So just go drown them with alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, my steed. (laughs) It was like, do not refer to me as a steed. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, The other... That murder dog was in this too, which is awesome. That dog who just like screams murder all the time. He's like, he kept mentioning in this, he's like, oh, this is much more fun than murder. <laughs> um, who don't love murder dog? Yeah, he's like some sort of like demonic uh, hound dog or something that you meet in, in the Thor Him series. And lock Josh and have a play date. <laughs> just lock Josh, teleport to somewhere, then, then fucking that dog goes murder crazy. Lockjaw speaking just had a nap. Speaking of Lockjaw, did you read the newest issue of Black Hammer? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Lockjaw's lock, Lockjaw yeah. is a fucking yeah. like, on that weird council, <laughs> which is like a like a like an amalgamation of the new gods, Thor, and fucking the Inhumans that group. Yeah, it's, it's so great. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's fucking baby Lockjaw. No, but like I, I seen it, and he's like a, he's like a pug lockjaw, and I'm like, are they allowed to do this? Like it's straight up lockjaw. Like yeah, you it's just, yeah, you, it's you're looking it's, at it, it's like it is Odin, Mister Miracle, Big Barda, yes, uh, yes, fucking Singularity and Lockjaw. 
I, I would even go as far as to say instead of singularity, it's like um, eternity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. It's eternity. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, eternity, no, it's eternity without a face. I, I mean, I know that just reminded me when you said Lockjaw of that. I know we're not talking about Black Hammer, but oh my fucking God, Black Hammer. Dude. So fucking good. Dude. Honest, he is on such a tear right now. This is probably, I think, my favorite of the Lemire books out right now. Though. Absolutely. But, yeah, it's so good. And and but, I, I'm like, we're getting more and more of like Black Hammer like as a character. And I just fucking love this guy. Just, hey, God, go get fucked. It's my kid's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> it's got, uh, yeah, I'd rather sit here and eat this cake. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, I gotta go. Yeah, like I'll save the city tomorrow. For now, yo, I gotta cut this motherfucker. You want a piece, bitch? <laughs> I mean, it, it really was a series of fucking bad decisions on his part that led to his demise in this, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I need to go home. <laughs> you see all of like his skin just come right off his body. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. No, it was oh, great. God. Well, now, well, now his daughter's going to pick up the hammer. <laughs> Probably. Oh, you think? Yeah, because she's stuck there now with them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why I mean, Why else wouldn't she? The hammer is yeah. the only thing of, like, seems, seems to be the only thing of actual power that works anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I know we weren't talking about Black Hammer, guys, but definitely check out Black Hammer. Black Hammer's really good. It. Yeah, I think that's one of those books that we can, like, if we ha- if we wanted to, we could definitely check in on, like, every issue like we do with some books. You know, hey, Black Hammer Corner, you know? Yeah. It's the Black Hammer update on the uh, comics podcast. So, yeah, it's that it's been that good. So, uh, But Unworthy Thor, also pretty good. Um, I did enjoy it. The reveal, not a huge reveal, maybe a little bit disappointing to some, but I still feel that... Um, the Jason Aaron run on Thor will look be looked back upon once it is finally done, which there really is not an end in sight, in my opinion, as of yet, um, as one of the better, the best Thor runs, uh, at least that I've known about. Um, yeah, totally. Even read it. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing, I guess, quickly uh, worth uh, mentioning is that now there's going to be a new Ultimate Thor, apparently. Yeah. Which was a reveal, at the, which again, I. I didn't know if that needed to be done or necessary, but I guess we'll see what happens with that. They said well, it's going to happen. It's not, it's not like actual Ultimate Thor. It is like Odin, it's Odinson wielding Ultimate Thor's hammer. Right, 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 right. Because he didn't take it. We all thought that he was maybe going to pick up the Ultimate Thor hammer in this because they, they they led to you thinking that during the miniseries. But he did not end up doing it. And they beat, um, I think it was what, Thanos. And then they also got Asgard back. Like Asgard is now back in existence because it was gone for a period. Yeah, so you know that so, yeah. thing that as you know Asgard was missing, even though it wasn't because we kept visiting it in Mighty Thor. I know. Yeah, oh. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard with timelines sometimes within comics. It's comics people. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so, comics motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so unworthy Thor, pretty good. I um, definitely check it out if you've just been reading his Mighty Thor stuff. And you've, for whatever reason, skipped this series. As me and Deadman have talked about on the show uh, before, uh, Jason Aaron is actually a capable writer who's able to weave in other storylines into a main ongoing storyline, unlike Dan Slott. Uh, dude, please, it's before. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, final yes. book for me, Archie. Yes. I'm still reading that. It's still really good. It's going weird places that I kind of dig. Are you watching Riverdale? Yes, I am. That show was kind of bad. 
a lot of things bother me about it, but I, 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 love, I like it still though. I want, I'm, I, I'm, I'm watching it. Let's just say that yeah. I can't. I'm enjoying I'm watching it. Yes, yes, exactly. Not Thank necessarily you. enjoying yeah. the show. <laughs> I'm go enjoying on. watching the show. <laughs> yes, same. Anyways, yeah. So in Archie. So, so a few issues back, um, Veronica's dad lost the mayoral race thanks to Archie or, and Reggie or whatever, some combination of those fuckers. So he decided to take Veronica and move her to Switzerland. Go to boarding school. That's where she met Cheryl Blossom. And they began their rich girl feud, which ended with uh, Cheryl being with ended up with ended with Cheryl uh, flying to Paris, where she tried to casually sneak into a restaurant wearing a really fancy dress, only to find that it's full of fucking jackasses. Yeah, <laughs> and then she, and then Veronica had her dad buy out Cheryl's Cheryl's company, Cheryl's dad's company, making them broke. Mm. So Cheryl goes to Riverdale with her brother Jason in order to essentially destroy Veronica's life, trying to you know seduce Archie away from her and stuff. Uh, when she finally meets Archie, she just breaks out laughing because he fell because he rolled down a hill while stuck in a barrel. Right, because you know this Archie's a three stooge, one of the one of the lost stooges. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge klutz. Yeah, but then, <laughs> um, but then Veronica shows back up. They are back in town. Everything's great, and uh, and uh, yeah, so Archie and Veronica get back together. Uh, Cheryl and Jason realize that oh wait, if we got, if our company got bought out, we'd be fucking rich as hell. Mm. What the hell is happening? So the so the most recent issue, um, Betty, who's kind of been on the sideline for a while, uh, went out on a date with Dilton. Yeah, that was that was a, a weird. I thought, no, but, but, he, but here's the thing: it actually has precedent because yeah. in because in one of like the future Archie books from uh from a couple years back, Betty and Betty and Dilton were married. Uh, oh, is that the married life Archie? One, yeah, yeah, uh, ma- yeah, married with Archie or something. Okay. It was like, um, when right. it was when he was married to either Veronica or Cheryl. I think he ended up, I mean, I didn't read all, uh, read most of that, but I think he was with Veronica. I heard no, I he, he th- no, um, no, he's married he, to both of them, he was in different universes. No, he, he was married to right? he was married to four different people. Was it different parallel like uh universes? Yeah, though? it was, like, yeah, it was essentially right. what if Archie married this person? Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it was there was one with Archie and Betty, one with Veronica, one with Cheryl, and one with uh the girl from Josie and the Pussycats, whose name I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had they had one for each of them, and in one of those and in one of those um what if scenarios, uh Betty married Dilton. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so so the and so those two uh go on a date. Um things seem to go well. Um things seem to go pretty well. Uh, Dilton like says, "Hey, you want to go do this again sometime?" And and uh, Betty's like, eh, "I don't know about it. Uh, I'll let you know." And then as Dilton's leaving, it's like, "Oh man, I got rejected." He just, he just gets a text from her like, "Hey, how about Thursday?" Meanwhile, meanwhile, Archie and Veronica went out on a date, and they both realized, "Oh wait, this is actually kind of terrible. I don't like anything about this person anymore." Mm. Like as uh. As uh, as uh, Veronica was talking about, you know, some bullshit that happened to her, like oh, somewhere, it just it just turned into blah 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 blah, like literally. Mm. 
her her dialogue her dialogue balloons are actually fucking drowned out by blah blah blah. And then she also just found Archie kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Like typically the thing with like Archie, isn't it that like he is just so stupid in love with uh, with uh, Veronica, right. like all like all the time, and that that's what this was at the beginning. But then she left. He got perspective. She came back. Yeah, and, and they different. both like and they're both like, oh wait, we don't really have anything in common. Like I just mm-hmm. liked you because you were hot in a rebound, and Veronica was like, I just liked <laughs> you because you doted on everything I said. Hmm. Which is weird because in in the series when she had went away, the whole entire time they were pining for each other on opposite ends of the world, like kind of trying to get back together. But then, like yeah, like you said, once that happened, it didn't really. It, it wasn't the same. Like something had changed. Yeah, them. It all, everything changed, yeah. and it was. Yeah. It's a level of growth I was not expecting from Archie. Oh, it's been great. I think Mark Wade's uh, doing a great job. Oh, yeah. It's really been interesting with Betty, too. Like, I have been weirdly invested in what she's been doing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Jughead just exists. (laughs) I know. I I did recently hear, though, that Mark Wade is going to start co-writing the Jughead series, though, as well. That'd be cool. Which... Yeah, so maybe that is why he's been holding back on the Jughead storylines within this book. I don't know, but maybe. He, but it, but yeah. Jughead actually had a really great bit in this. Um, so Cheryl and Jason were like, "Hey, Jughead, we we hear you're the guy who gets to know things. Find out why our dad said we were poor." Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and Jughead one, just yeah. walked up to the door. I was like, <laughs> "Hey, why do you think kids are poor?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as he walks away, as he walks away, he basically just says. It basically just says, fuck the both of you for what you've done. Now get me my fucking burgers. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, you didn't tell me how to do it. You just told me to ask or find no, no, out. Or- no, 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 it, wasn't, it wasn't even that. It's like, do you really ex- did you really expect me to help you after everything you've done? Mm-hmm. Which, which I felt that... Uh, he there's the um, having her pop up is what her and her brother pop up now finally in this series i think is it's pretty good timing with what's going on with the riverdale show as well right now although he is alive still in this book <laughs> yeah and they're it's also not... entirely different characters <laughs> i think i think it's just funny now that with the show out they're finally kind of coming around to also the the cheryl character no no but I, i'm not trying to make that connection though completely these are definitely two different things which i appreciate there is a riverdale comic as well which i'm not reading but there is a book if you're if you like the show apparently there's a riverdale comic that's going to be coming out yeah so, uh, i think it's a free comic book day yeah and then i think it's going to be a ser- an actual ongoing series from like, i'm sure they're going to milk the fact that there's a tv show right oh now, yeah they're gonna uh, fucking yeah. ring that bitch dry yeah, <laughs> and you know, you know, why, why not? I mean, if you can get people interested in archery, that's pretty cool at this time uh, to do that. So. Yeah, just one thing that really bugged me about that uh, about that Riverdale series, like among sure. a few other things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Moose is gay in that one, but he's right. not gay with Dilton. No, it's with uh, Ke- Keller, uh, Kevin Keller. Yeah, uh, the only uh, other gay yeah. character. Right. Yeah, I know. It's which, not like, Dilton. Which, like bugs it's... me, like uh, like fucking Moose and Dilton. I figured that shit would be on lock, man. Yeah, you would think so. Although they've only showed, I think, Dilton once, and same with uh, Heat. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, a lot Dilton of characters and, not present yeah, right now. No, but like, here's the thing. Dilton and Moose aren't Dilton and Moose in this show. Mm. Like, like yeah. Moose is, like, 
he can speak. Right, he's a toy. Yeah, he, yeah, he's not. He's not just. He's not like just some big old fucking dumbass who yeah. like Reggie picks or who like uh who was. He, he's on the football team and stuff, and he's like bros with Reggie. Who Reggie, by the way, he is great. Yeah, Reggie is terrible, he, and he is great. Yeah, he's just an obnoxious asshole in the show. Which I guess, like, yeah, if you know Reggie, you, then you, you would can't re- that. like the way that they wrote him. They can't really, they can't really spin him around to be the conniving like smart asshole. I'm interested to see if they actually bring it back around, though, where he actually he becomes part of the gang. Because there is times during the Archie comics where he is technically friends with them, but he is still a dick. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like is, he is there part of where, like, the, he and Betty hook up. Maybe because then Archie was probably with Veronica at that time. I'm sure that's happened over I mean, the probably. long periods of time. Yeah, <laughs> this book's been I mean, around I'm for sure. like a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. um yeah, like, but, yeah, like, Moose, but, there's, but like, Moose and Riverdale is just some big guy, not really smart, not really dumb, just like discovering that he is gay and also that he has like a monster dick. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dilton's a doomsday prepper. Is, was he with Midge in this, though, or not? Uh, Moose, is, yeah, Moose is with Midge. Okay. Uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, like the, I, me- I remember there were, I'm, I think he's with Midge. Or, or, who I, the I'm, fuck is Pop? He showed up once. Yeah, he's, he's like, back why? there. He's doing stuff. <laughs> Okay, he's making so. he's making chocolate shit. I don't know, and that's not because he's black; it's because he works <laughs> at a chocolate shop. Yeah, chocolate shop. <laughs> you know, it's also it's does she want to fuck Jason? <laughs> I don't know. Like that seems to be the thing. Like every time I see that, every time I see like any of her like fucking flashback memories of Jason, it's like, oh, well, y'all two fucking. Well, that was the thing. That was an afterlife with Archie, which Robert Agara Sakarsa, the guy who's the one of the writers of the show, wrote. So he wrote that the two of them they, fucked in afterlife with Archie. It was very highly hinted upon. Yes, there was incest, twincest going on in that. Ah, yep. yeah. I, I I haven't read Afterlife and Archie in a while because it comes out like fucking twice a year at this point, but uh, um, but yeah, there was an issue where they basically. Said that that is what was happening. Yes, so that is a thing that Jesus happened Christ. in the comics, and 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 like I said, there there is a direct uh, like uh, he did write that, and he also co writes on the show. So maybe that is a thing. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll so, see. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we'll find out who the murderer was by the end of this first season? Probably not. I know that's what pisses me off. <laughs> That's how these shows work, though, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not usually into these fucking like. This is a very like almost like a teen drama, like fucking nine hundred two and O type thing going well, no, on this here. This is straight up I, a teen drama shit. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm not into those shows normally, but because of the Archie thing, I was like, I got sucked in. Now I'm fucking watching. It. I'm just like, ah, oh, like I, no, I hate this. The it, thing that kind of bugs me the most is the fact that it is Archie, right? Like. Like, if this wasn't Archie, I wouldn't really have any kind of problem with it. It's just, like, the fact that it is, like, hey, we are taking fucking Archie and doing this shit. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I do get pissed off at some of the choices that I have made uh, with the characters so far. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm still watching, so. Yeah, did you ever read that um, Chilling Adventures with of Sabrina, the other Archie yep. horror thing? Yep. I like that one, too. Have you checked it out or no? Uh, no, actually, uh, with the with the amazing release schedule, yeah, of both I know, these books, right. <laughs> like considering the fact that um, according to according to Wikipedia, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is still ongoing, 
but since 2014 has released six issues. Yeah, no, what had happened was I read like the first three or four issues. I liked it enough. And then when, again, when it started with this fucking one issue a year business, I just picked up the first trade. Um, that came out. So yeah, and then that, uh, and then same since, with Afterlife, and then since October 2013, Afterlife with Archie has released ten issues mm-hmm. with the since second 20- storyline Betty R.I.P. being un- going until issue twelve. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, no, it's. They've definitely been keeping up with their release schedule on like Archie, Jughead, and then they have a Josie and the Pussycats a comic now. Like a, a lot of the other new releases they've been bringing out have actually kept schedule, but these these ones they they fucking have really uh, forgotten about almost, which is a shame because both those books are good. I like I like the Sabrina one, and I did like the um, I did like the uh, Afterlife with Archie one, and also there's a one shot that came out this week. Uh, which we won't be talking about. Maybe next show. Um, there's it's called Jughead: The Hunger, drawn by Michael Walsh. It's a zombie one shot of uh, Jughead. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, it just came out this week. Jughead: The Hunger looks really good. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Then. yeah. <laughs> well, that's Archie. Yeah. All right, and I'll just uh, wrap up here with my final book uh, quickly. I forget. Do you? I because uh, we've never, I think, fucking talked about it, or if we have talked about it, we've talked about it. The fact that we don't ever talk about these books. Do you read any of the Valiant books at all? Not really. Okay. It's. Let me guess. Is it because you just don't care about these characters? Uh, like, like I read Harbinger for a while. Yeah. Okay. And then eventually, you've kind of fell off of that. But I've been meaning to like get back into it. Like, um, it was Quantum and Woody Valiant. That was good. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Um, I am pretty soon going to be getting into Archer and Armstrong. Archer and Armstrong's really good. Yeah, that's and which and it. Yeah, there's two series. There's a new series that relaunched. That's I think maybe ten or twelve issues deep right now. And then there's a the yeah, first as, series that they as came we out were talking with. about this, I did look it up. It's um, Archer and Armstrong, and then A and A: The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong. That's the new one, yeah, which has also been pretty good. Um, so does it continue on like straight on from where that book from uh, where the old book ended, or is it like? Nope you can you can start off just with this new series if you don't want to read the original one. It, no, uh, I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it ta- it takes place right after. It really is kind of like at that at the point of the new series, they're already established as two characters who have known each other and go on adventures. But in the first series, you kind of see them come together and become friends and actually start, you know, like adventuring together, like on their kind of crazy little escapades that they get involved in. Huh. And it, it, it is a very humorous book and a very, uh, I would say, smartly written book, the first one as well, the first series. This next one, the second one that's going on right now is is um, way more fun uh, than the first one, I would say, in okay. terms of... Well, they're both fun, but I think that the first one had a a balance of it being very well written as well. And so you got it it wasn't just like like buddy, uh, you know, like a a buddy comedy type comic. It was that, but it also had another side of it. This this most recent one is mostly just like I would say the buddy comedy aspect of these two characters. So, yep. And I would also Um, just like to say that um, according to Amazon, the first volume of Afterlife with Archie takes two to five weeks to ship, while the first volume of Chili Adventure Sabrina takes one to three months. Holy fuck. So they don't even have stock of these things, apparently. 
Yeah, that really sucks. I, I'm disappointed that that's the case because those are good books. And just like those, there is a lot of good titles within the Valiant universe. And I think that Valiant has been struggling struggling as a pu- uh, publisher simply because of the fact that, again, not um, they're not a Marvel or a DC and they didn't come in through the image wave of uh, creator-owned comics that happened a few years ago with the image boom, if you want to call it that again. Um Valiant was like a, a you know a company that existed in the '90s amongst all that all that shit, and then kind of disappeared and recently popped up back up a few years ago. Um, oh, and, and you know, then, I, and then there's Jughead yep. of the Hunger. Yeah, that's the one I was just talking about. Oh, sorry, I did not hear that. Yeah, that's that's the one I was just saying. Jughead of the Hunger. It just came out this week. So, oh yeah, they uh, oh yeah they uh, they did that tease a while back of that about that. Mm. Oh yeah, I'll be reading it. But since it just came out this week, I didn't today, yeah. actually. Yeah. So we'll um, get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think so that that might kind of fill your uh, afterlife with Archie uh, need. If you guys have been looking for that, definitely check out yeah, Jughead the Hunger, because I believe this is a one shot because um, he gets killed, I think, in Afterlife with Archie. And now this is him as a zombie, I believe, in this, if I'm not mistaken. So um, anyways, well, it's a werewolf, I think. Oh, is it a werewolf? Okay. Okay, my my mistake. Something that happens to him after Archie, as far as I know, and, and maybe that's what this is. Um, so yeah, Valiant. Uh, I'm going to talk about Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. Uh, Eternal Warrior is a a character uh, I very I, I do enjoy. Uh, I do have some experience with some of these titles in the '90s when I was in the comics when I was younger. Uh, the Valiant stuff. Uh, I can't remember loving any of it. I did read some of it. I do. So when Valiant came back a few years ago, I was familiar already with a lot of these characters like Harbinger and Archer Armstrong. Like they used to have these things. I don't know, Deadman, if you recall ever getting these, if you had bought, had got comics when you were younger as well, um, or had seen them ever, they had these packs of like five random comics for a couple bucks. Like it was like, you know what I mean? Like these, you sometimes see these things, they were kind of wrapped up and it'd be like like three or five random comics and you pay a few bucks for it. They would sometimes sell it in like a, you know, like a, like a, like Zellers or something like that. Uh, yeah, I didn't really get comics. When I was a kid. We didn't really have comic shops. Okay. Um, so they, yeah, they used to have these things where, yeah, like I said, it, it, publishers would just, there'd be so much fuck, fucking probably overstock back then during the nineties with the, uh, before the bubble burst with, uh, comics that they just couldn't sell so they used to they used to do this thing where they would just put like a bunch of random fucking comics for like a few bucks in a bag and you would just like buy them from the store i used to go to and and when i got that a lot of the time some of the comics that were mixed in there were valiant so th- it was never even like a conscious effort on my part to read valiant books it's just i ended up with a bunch of them for whatever reason so so I do have some sort of a history with it, and I feel that the publisher has been struggling with sales numbers the last few years, despite them having a lot of good talent over at the company, including people like Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent, um, fuck, I mean, Robert Venditti, who's doing, I guess, some of the Green Lantern books or work over at DC right now, is the one who wrote this Wrath of the Eternal Warrior book and, and uh, other books for Valiant. Uh-huh. So they've they've had some good people there. Uh, one of the best books going on right now, which if you're looking to dip your toe in the water for some Valiant books, uh, Dead Man, I would, uh, I would definitely check out Bloodshot by Jeff Lemire right now, which is really, really good. And you don't need to have read the other Bloodshot stuff, because I haven't. 
Um, so Jeff Lemire has been doing a few different series of Bloodshot with Valiant, and, and that's been top-notch stuff. Um, uh, yeah, Archer and Armstrong's good. Quantum and Woody is good. Exo Manowar, I really enjoyed. And a lot of these books are actually relaunching this year and have been over the last couple of months with new number ones. So if you have been hesitating checking out some of the Valiant books, I definitely would suggest it. There, although that's why I wanted to talk about this book. We never really fucking talk about the Valiant here. And I do read Valiant, but I always read it in trade. I've never read any of this stuff in issues. And, um, but there is a lot of good quality books that they're doing over there and you won't hear them talked about as much cause they're not Marvel or DC. Yeah. So, so I think that, um, that is their disadvantage. Uh, they're not established characters like a Spider-Man or a fucking X-Men or they're not characters that people have known for hundreds, a hundred years or whatever. Yeah, no, nobody's nobody's sitting here waiting for them, waiting for them to announce the fucking bloodshot movie to fucking rip it apart. <laughs> Right, which is which is a thing. <laughs> That's sadly yeah. enough. So. There's an Archer Armstrong movie too. That I didn't know. I heard about the Bloodshot, but I didn't and I know think Quantum and Woody too. Really? See, but those ones I could see them doing just because, like I said, you can you can do some sort of like a buddy cop fucking comedy type movie with those guys. Like, uh, you know, what I mean, like if they did something with like maybe the humor of even like a. Or dark humor of like a like a Deadpool type movie, you know what I mean? If they did something like that with those characters, um, I think it would work. But you know, um, well, anyways, well, ra- actually, yep. the director of Zombieland, as of this month, has signed on to direct the Archer and Armstrong movie. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, with I a script mo- written by uh, Terry Rossio. Who okay. Had- who had uh, previously worked on, um, let's see here, Aladdin, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Shrek. Was that the last Pirates of the Caribbean? That was the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's what the first one was called? Yep, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Apparently, Terry Rossio is the second most successful screenwriter of all time in terms of domestic (laughs) box office. Who has okay. made a total of two point five billion dollars domestically on his movies? Oh sure, Shrek and fucking Pirates of the Caribbean probably brought that in alone, right? That's crazy. Oh wow, well, good for him then. That's okay. Oh, well, but he also made the loan. But he also worked on the Lone Ranger. Yeah, that's not as good. <laughs> With Army Hammer and a poop-covered Johnny Depp. <laughs> pretty much playing the exact same character as he did in pirates but different <laughs> slightly yeah <laughs> um yeah okay well maybe there's some merit behind that though at least it sounds like they're actually trying to make a good movie out of archer and armstrong though so that that might be all right yeah meanwhile the bloodshot movie uh is being uh pushed back so that harbinger can be the first movie to come out Interesting. and it's and it's being directed uh as confirmed this month by Dave Wilson, a VFX artist. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, there you go. Valiant. <laughs> Valiant, everybody get excited for it. But uh, That's how you do. But that's the thing. That's the thing, though. They do have a universe, and they do have characters. Yeah, and they these do people- have a universe. 
they they and pe- these people do interact and they do show up in each other's books uh very much uh, not unlike any of the fucking marvel dc type stuff too and i think at this point over the last few years they've been establishing this universe uh uh, e- even, you know, also doing crossovers or events time to time as well, as you do with these type of books. They have established, like, a wide range of characters, actually. So so that's what I mean. Like, it has every other thing that you would expect from a comic company making, type of, type, like, superhero-type books, but they're not all superhero books, even. You have, like, warriors. You have, like, Conan-esque characters, like the Eternal Warrior. Like, he's basically a man who's fought throughout time and cannot like die or if he dies he comes back to life and basically that's what this wrath of the eternal warrior which came out uh, i don't know maybe a year or two ago now which was the second series i guess of the eternal warrior books that they've brought out uh both of which have been good um that's basically what this has been about this has been about his journey uh the eternal warrior is gilad and ipada and uh, he is also uh, brothers with uh, Ivar Timewalker and Ar- and uh, Armstrong. Uh, is it Armstrong? Yeah, they're all brothers. Those three, which are all prominent characters and have been around forever, because they're all like eternal, pretty much um, in the Valiant universe. And that's the thing; like they're all related. They all have showed up in each other's books, and and there definitely is a, a sort of like a cohesion then between those characters and like you kind of you get the feeling that they are a family and they all are equally unique different characters and uh yeah the eternal warrior basically this has been um this third volume that's just recently came back uh, back out is uh him ax- asking um exo manowar to um as a friend to kill him so he could die and go to the afterlife and save his son uh who has in the afterlife he his son has been taken his family has been pretty much uh secluded in some sort of like realm in the afterlife where like on a different plane uh kind of like i guess like a, almost like a purgatory type thing of some sort where they've basically been stationed there and now I guess essentially the devil, let's just call him, or some sort of demon has taken his son because he has uh, problems with Gilad, and he has to work his way into the gates of hell to end up bringing his son back, and they have not been on uh, good terms, and by the end of this third uh, volume, uh, collecting issues 11 to 14 of Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, uh, they make up, they even battle some demons towards the end and work together as a father and son team, he kind of has like an inspiring uh, speech to his son, saying, "You know, you're you're my son. I I named you this. Uh, I forgot his name, but he's like, yeah, I gave you this name. You're the son of Gilad and Ipata, the Eternal Warrior. You know, you will, you'll, you know, you'll avenge me if we go down here uh, fighting. So, and what ends up happening is, um, uh, he collapses during the fight, and his son ends up dragging him." towards the gate of hell to make their way back out um the rest of the way after they've battled all these demons and he makes a deal with the devil uh to kind of get free passage out of there and his son back towards the end of it so um it's fucking weird i'm i'm like looking up trying to look up stuff about this fucking book and like like Wikipedia says, hey, the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior was a new thing that was announced in 2012 and then in 2013 there was a new there was a new Eternal Warrior series by Greg Pak and then fucking on the Valiant website, it says the Eternal Warrior series by Greg Pak came out three years before the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. 
Yeah, so Greg Pak wrote the first iteration of this character, and he did this one where it was um, it was just the Eternal Warrior, and then he did one where he was kind of like a King Conan Eternal Warrior, like it was him in the future, like it was um, it was it was G- Gilad as an old man, sorta. Like, and Greg Pak I think wrote that one too, and then after that concluded, um, this version of it by Robert Venditti came out, Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. So there's been two. That, that's what I mean. Like, there's been two different series of the Eternal Warrior so far. Like, it hasn't sustained a long-going title like some of the other stuff has. Like, Exo Manowar went 50 issues until it just recently re- re- uh, relaunched. Yep, and now um, we have a new yeah. thing coming out called Eternal Warrior Awakening. Uh, yeah, Who, who's going to be doing that one? Because I don't know about that. Robert Venditti. Okay, so he's continuing with it then. Yep, All right, with so- Renato Guedes on art. Okay. Um, the artist on this, this uh, that makes sense because at the end of this volume, it definitely felt like an end of sorts um, to this storyline, at least. Uh, like I said, there's been two volumes before this of Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, which in total has been 14 issues if this is indeed the end. And the one you just mentioned is the new series. Um, and it's been really good. Um, I really liked it. Um I like the Eternal Warrior. I think all the Eternal Warrior series have been good. Um, I can't say that about all the Valiant series. I don't read them all, but there is certain characters I have latched onto, and and this is definitely uh, one of them. I would definitely say this is more in the vein of like a he is like a warrior barbarian guy, like kind of like a Conan of sorts or something like that. But he is eternal, and um, and yeah, he is also known as like um, the Earth's guardian. Like, he basically has to, um, th- that's basically what the Eternal Warrior's job is is to do, is to protect, I guess, the, the Earth, and uh, and he, he has been doing so, I guess, throughout uh, time, since I don't know what fucking year. And but, there's the so. Peter Milligan book, Eternal Warrior, Days of Steel. I don't know if I've read that one. It's a three-issue mini. Okay. That was collected in a know. trade that is worth that is that costs seventeen fifty. Okay. For three issues. Yeah, that's not that's not that great of a value. <laughs> but I don't know if I read that one, but I've read the other two that you mentioned, the Greg Pock, and I've read the Robert Venditti stuff. So yeah, so I you know, I don't know when the next time we'll talk about Valiant is, so that's why I kinda wanna give like I give a <laughs> give an overview of some of the titles that are worth uh your time checking out. So I uh but yeah, I definitely ha- I have enjoyed this uh Eternal Warrior and uh Valiant. Check out some of the books. There is a lot of good stuff going on over there. Okay. Yeah. Another problem reading then on to news. We have one piece of news and it's kinda shitty. Yeah. So, DC has announced that after serious delays with the book uh, Doom Patrol from Young Animal, uh, DC is canceling issues 7, 8, and 9. Yeah, it sucks. Yes, so issue 6 will be coming out on April 29th, and that will be, for now, the final issue of Doom Patrol. It'll be by Gerard Way and Mark Allred, and while it is coming out on April 29th, it apparently was supposed to come out in February. Mm-hmm. But this isn't the cancellation of the series forever, right? No. Uh, according to according to Bleeding Cool, uh, there are plans at DC to resolicit the book at a later date. Okay. Uh, they're looking at um, earliest as July, but uh, there will still be 
a significant amount of time between the between when we get the last issue of Doom Patrol and when we get it again. Right. No, that is really shitty. Um, yeah, Doom Patrol is really mean, good. Yeah, you were saying they just brought I, I they just brought back Crazy Jane. Oh yes, the one with the multiple personality, like this. The yes, 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 yes. That's the one with all the personalities, right? Yeah, the, and, it, uh, and it was actually really yes. cool. Like they, uh, like the way they did that, they, int- they introduced it by just having like this woman standing in, like a dark room talking about like talking like almost like a cult. And then mm-hmm. we, and then we just cut to it. We just see Jane floating in a void in front of a nuclear bomb and saying, saying at the end <laughs> of it, we will all be Jane. She's a great character. Crazy Jane's really um, cool. All the Doom Patrol's yeah. really cool. Robot Man. Like, there's, there's this whole fucking thing where, like, like, the story for that book is that fucking Danny the Street became Danny the Universe, and then he fucking got captured by this company that started killing off everybody inside of him to make burgers. <laughs> and so he became Danny the Brick, and then Danny the Ambulance. <laughs> and, then he, and, then he, and then fucking Cassie, our main character, he created her as a comic book character in his own world, then brought her to life so that she could drive the ambulance and help save Danny. He's so trying. I mean, he's so doing his best Grant Morrison. Drive, oh yeah, and, oh yeah, and say, then yeah. and then, like we meet fucking Cassie's dad, and he's and he's like doing this all this all this like huge villain speech, and Robot Man just like fuck you and punches him in the face. <laughs> you know, yeah. like how Robot Man do. Yeah, he was always the most um, down to earth, normal one in that Grant Morrison series. You know what I mean? Like it was everybody else was just a little bit more wackier than he was. And he was the most grounded character. I felt he has to be, but no, I know, but that's what was great about him in contrast to everybody else. I, I think he's such a good character. Oh, that's right. It's Um, Casey. Okay. Casey bring. Yes. I keep forgetting. (laughs) Yeah. How about that? Um, that thing that you find out that's like some sort of like ent- entity or whatever. The one that's the bandaged face one. I forgot its name. Um, the, the one that's got. Yeah. The one that looks like the invisible man. Yeah. The, ne- yeah, the it, negative it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is he, uh, is he around in this series? Yeah. Or? Yeah. He is. He, uh, he showed up. Okay. He had lost the negative spirit. And so he just kind of walking around with like these weird black eyes. And then a, mm. and then like a council of negative spirits decided to like put the spirit back into him. Because he has been, because he was like the best of them, and they and then they made him the negative man again. Oh, okay. But there's no, because I don't know if this like, because I haven't read it yet. I've been waiting for the trade. Uh, but is there? Um, you remember the professor from the original Grant Morrison one, the one that was like in the wheelchair, like the Professor X, like uh, Niles Calder. Is he in this or is he dead still? Like, is is, is it the fact that is like, is this a? Uh, he shows I, I, up every now and again, like, like what? Like, okay, for, like for one page, it'll be like. Meanwhile, Niles Calder is doing this, and then it's like him fucking playing a piano or something in the fucking in like a maze. Hmm. But they haven't actually made a connection between him and the Doom Patrol yet. Nope. Okay, that that might be something that he's trying to set up then, because originally in the Grant Morrison one, that's the thing. He's the one that's pulling all the strings and doing all this. Yeah, he's, shit he's the one. Behind the yeah, he's the one right. that um, he's the one that like put them in the accidents that made them the Doom Patrol. Right, 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 right. But you don't find that out until later on. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So maybe that's what he's he's setting up. Maybe he's going to be like one of the villains or something because. Because that's what he turned out to be in Doom Patrol, but at first he seemed to be like the Professor X, like, "Oh, I'm going to take care of this group of misfits." You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, like but, isn't that isn't that basically like what Doom Patrol turned out to be? Pretty, yeah. I mean, just, there's like, there's like yes. basically like a joke, yeah. just like, "Hey, you know, yes, you your superheroes. Guess what? Fuck you." 
Yeah, well, they were more looked at at like freaks. Like in the old, there's an even older Doom Patrol series before Grant Morrison, before Grant Morrison put his spin on things, and that that's basically what they were. Like that's Dubbed they were the just world's like strangest heroes. Yeah, like that's the that's the thing. I think that that was the whole reason why when they gave him rights to do this book that book it was like okay like because he remembered them but no one fucking gave a shit about the doom patrol at that time of course like, they didn't. he was like yeah that's <laughs> why that's why he got they? that that an animal man but he did brilliance with both in my opinion you know what i mean but but yeah that's i i'm glad to hear the series really good though yeah it's, so it's, it is, it is yeah. real good and, and and obviously i guess young animals is I would think it's doing successful they're still do, they're doing new books still like the young the animals bug young animals keeping going yeah, I mean, they, they just announced that All Red book, the, um, the bug. fucking, yeah, Bug. So, so yeah. Yeah, here's, here's hoping. Young Animal is doing interesting things with comics nowadays. Is Doom Patrol your favorite series out of all the launches so yeah, far? Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is your least favorite out of all of them? Uh, probably like, Mother Panic. Interesting. Okay, because I I don't know I I I, lo- I looked at some of the art on that. It looks really good, but I guess it's the story that's not. Yeah, like it's it's kind of the most boring out of them all, because with like huh. yeah, because with uh, in Gotham. Yeah, yeah, like 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 I'm just gonna like give you like a brief rundown of the books. Like so sure, Doom Patrol is Doom Patrol. Yeah, Cave Carson, a fucking like 1950s adventurer with a cybernetic eye, has to go down into the fucking subterranean place that his wife was from in order to stop his former company from resurrecting a fucking evil dead god. <laughs> yeah, Shade the Changing Girl, a human girl gets possessed by the spirit of a of, a, of an alien bird wearing the fucking magic uh, insanity cloak and begins all and begins like warping reality around her in some weird, really weird fucky ways. It's just the art's really bland. Hmm. And then the superhero. Okay, so it's the most, yeah, nor- yeah, I get it. <laughs> Thanks for that rundown because that definitely explained why it's the least interesting. It's the most, the uh, it's yeah. the most like bargain basic. It, it is is the thing yeah. that is the thing that feels the most like it would be a regular DC book, right? Plus, she's stationed in Gotham. This character, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All Doom right. Patrol, meanwhile, well, is in is wherever the fuck that ambulance takes him, dog. <laughs> fucking Flex Mental has to come out there and fucking flex the gun away from people. That's cool that he's in the book, too. <laughs> I, it's it's because that was one of those characters that they because even Grant Morrison did the Flex Mental series after the fact and he showed up in Doom Patrol a little bit. But there was a rights issue at some point because he's Mr. Atlas or something like that. Yeah, that, he, they, he, he looks straight up like Mr. Atlas. Right, I I think there was a that was the whole reason where why it was out of print for so long the Flex Mentala book because and then I got um, it yeah and that's a really fucking out there book too Grant Morrison very yeah, that, that is weird book. yeah but again that's a book that examines like all eras of comics like that's at least that's what I got out of it like it was him just again doing that Grant Morrison I'm gonna examine like all fucking eras of comic books and it and, and how Flex Mentallo is apparent yeah. and Flex Mentallo is apparently part of a trilogy you mean the original book that he did was supposed to be a trilogy or no Flex Mentallo uh, yeah. the 1996 four issue miniseries is part of a quote thermatic hyper sigil trilogy along with the invisibles and the filth oh okay so he's interesting it's okay huh 
But yeah, Flex Mentale is back, and he is just straight up Flex Mentale. Like, he just fucking goes in there, he flexes, Hero of the Beach appears over his head, and then reality <laughs> alters. That's great. No, that's good. I, I I can't wait to check this out. That's a shame that it's going to go on hiatus, but at least it's not canceled, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for that's joining good. us. We will be back in two weeks' time with an episode of the DestroProds.com comic book podcast. In between now and then, they're going to be having our regular run news, maybe reviews, podcasts. Ow! Cans of bullshit, but until then, I'm dead. I'm Nico. We will see you guys next time.